The author C.S. Lewis once wrote in his book, God in the Dock, that Christianity is a statement which, if false, is of no importance. And if true, is of infinite importance. The one thing it cannot be is moderately important. And the statement of Christianity to verify whether it is true or false is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. He is the eternal Son of God in the flesh. He came as a human being to live a perfect life under the law. To live the perfectly righteous life none of us could ever live. That you and I have repeatedly consistently failed to live. And that he died on the cross as a substitute to pay the penalty, to take the punishment for the sins of all who believe in him. Now, if you want to check if this is true, the starting place would be the resurrection of Jesus. If you want to know if Christianity is true, you need to ask, did Jesus really rise from the dead? quote I put in the bulletin from Tim Keller, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. Because if he did, then he is who he said he is. Then he is the Christ. He is the Savior of the world. He is the Son of God who came to live a righteous life and die as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of those who believe. Then he did come to give eternal life. And the fact that his perfect sacrifice is accepted by God is validated only if he rose from the dead. In our passage this morning, the Apostle Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. And in this Corinthian church, there were some who were denying a future bodily resurrection of the dead. And so through the first half of chapter 15, Paul argues for the certainty of a future resurrection of all believers. But first, as we'll see in our passage this morning, he begins that argument by establishing the reality of the resurrection of Jesus. And so... In this argument from the Apostle Paul, we'll see three realities of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The first is the resurrection of Jesus validates the whole Christian faith. Second, the resurrection of Jesus is a real event in history. And the third is the resurrection of Jesus gives you a resurrected life. Paul begins this passage in verses 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Paul states his goal is first to remind them of the gospel. That is the good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel that he preached to them they received, and in which they stand, the gospel by which they are being saved. But if they hold fast to the truth, Paul told them, if they start to believe the falsehoods that they were being spread throughout their church instead, then they believed in vain. 
He's calling them to hold fast to the truth about Jesus Christ because it's only the truth about Jesus Christ that can save you. Then Paul begins to lay out the central tenets of the gospel. He begins in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Paul's here writing a commonly recognized and used formula in the first century for handing an intact body of information that he received from others. Paul's saying the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ, it's the same gospel he was taught. And it's been no way altered or changed. It's a true, authentic gospel that he's passing on to them. And it's of first importance. And then he reveals it starting in the second half of verse 3. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. and That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The things of first importance. Things central to the gospel. Our first, that Christ died for our sins, and this was in accordance with the scriptures. So he says first that Jesus died a substitutionary death on behalf of those who have faith in him. And this was in accordance with the scriptures, meaning it was predicted in the Old Testament. There are many passages in the Old Testament Paul could be referring to. He could be referring to them as a whole. But most prominently is the suffering servant in Isaiah 53. The prophet Isaiah wrote, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53 goes on to say much more. But the point is, the scriptures proclaim the suffering death of Christ for the atonement of the sins of his people. And Paul's saying that this has happened. This has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. But also that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. The fact that Jesus is buried points to the reality of his death, which some people denied. It points to his humanity which some people denied. It also points to the reality of an empty tomb. As Paul says that Jesus was raised from the dead in accordance with the scriptures. There are many passages there that refer to the resurrection and and also to the vindication of God's people on the third day. Isaiah 53, speaking of his substitutionary death, goes on to say God will prolong his days and, and prosper his hand meaning that the servant will be victorious and he will receive the spoils of victory and claim his offspring. In Psalms Psalms 16 and 110, they're also proclaimed the resurrection of the Messiah. But the point is that Jesus fulfilled all of this. Jesus is the Christ, the suffering servant, the dying Messiah who died a sacrificial, atoning death as a substitute, as predicted in the Old Testament. And he rose from the dead as predicted in the Old Testament. This brings us to our first reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That the resurrection validates the Christian faith. The resurrection of Jesus is proclaimed in the scriptures. It validates them. It validates them as being the supernatural word of God. 
The resurrection of Jesus validates that he was a sinless man who died for the sins of others. The righteous one who died on behalf of the unrighteous. It validates that he was the son of God, that he defeated death. It validates that our faith is real and not in vain. And that's why this is the starting point for examining the Christian faith. There are some who are skeptical of Christianity who will pull random, obscure verses out of the Old Testament and say, see what it says here? How can the Bible or Christianity be true? And while we should be able to give answers to them in truth and in love and with gentleness, if someone is genuinely interested in the claims of Christianity and wants to know if they're true, the entry point would be the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything that Christians hold dear and believe is validated as truth because Jesus rose from the dead. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you can know that the Bible is divinely inspired. It is the word of God. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you can know that he is the eternal son of God in the flesh. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you can know that he died for your sins through faith in him. You can know that you have eternal life in him. Because Jesus rose from the dead, you can know that he is your only hope in life and in death. But what if you don't believe Jesus rose from the dead? Or what if you're just not sure? Paul addresses that as well. Not only did Paul deliver to the Corinthian church the gospel of Christ's death for our sins, his burial, and his resurrection from the dead, but starting in verse 5, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. In order to verify the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as a real event that actually happened, Paul tells them of all the people who saw the resurrected Jesus with their own eyes. It says first he appeared to Cephas, which is simply the Aramaic name for Peter. For some reason, Paul likes to refer to Peter as Cephas. Then the risen Jesus appeared to the twelve, which means the twelve disciples. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. Then he says something crucial. Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Paul's saying that the resurrected Jesus appeared to more than 500 eyewitnesses of his resurrected body. Paul, these are people that can verify that he rose from the dead. And he's saying most of them are still alive. This was written while eyewitnesses of the resurrection of Jesus were still alive. Paul is certifying the truth of the resurrection. He's listing the eyewitnesses and saying they are still alive. If you don't believe me, go ask them. And the apostles as a whole constantly referred to their statements as eyewitness testimony. In his sermon at Pentecost, recorded in Acts 2, Peter said, This Jesus... God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. He wrote again in his letter, 2 Peter, in chapter 1, where we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
Even further, considering the validity of the gospel accounts themselves, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, there's an author named J. Warner Wallace, and he's a homicide detective who specializes in cold cases. These are older cases that remain open and unsolved. And murder cases are actually never closed. They remain open indefinitely until they're solved. And so some of them happened a pretty long time ago. And he talks about how television and movies make it seem like cold cases always use DNA and forensic evidence to solve them. But he says actually what they do is examine the documents. And these detectives can determine the validity of the eyewitness accounts by examining the record of their testimony. They use a technique called forensic statement analysis, and it's a careful study of the words used in statements by witnesses, by suspects, and victims to determine the truthfulness or deceptiveness of the person making the statement. And in his book, Cold Case Christianity, J. A. Warner Wallace recounts his applying his skills as a cold case detective, applying forensic statement analysis to investigate the claims of the gospel. And he did this as a skeptic, someone who didn't believe that the gospel was true. But using his expertise, he examined the gospels diligently for months, and he was able to determine that the four gospels written from different perspectives contained the eyewitness accounts of the life ministry, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And this conclusion brought him to believe that this is true. He became a believer because it was true. And so the apostles themselves claim to be eyewitnesses. The, we have reliable documents containing reliable eyewitness testimony that Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose again from the dead on the third day. And this is our second reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus is a real event in history. Jesus of Nazareth was a man in history. He lived an obscure life up until his public ministry began where he was about 30 years old. Considering even non-biblical, non-Christian accounts written from Jewish authors in the first century who would have been completely against the claims of the gospel, you can still see what is referred to as the minimal facts that Jesus died on the cross and was buried, that Jesus' tomb was empty and no one ever produced his body, that Jesus' disciples believed that they had saw the resurrected Jesus from the dead, and that Jesus' disciples were transformed after their claims of seeing the resurrected Jesus. So even with these minimal facts from unbelievers, it leaves you with a dilemma of what is the most reasonable, logical conclusion you can draw from this information. But the heart and hearts of a sinner will try to explain it away. Some say that maybe Jesus didn't actually die on the cross, that his disciples were mistaken. Now, while this would explain the empty tomb, it's completely irrational to think that all of these people were duped into believing that Jesus died in his crucifixion, including the Roman soldiers whose job it was to make sure he was dead, and they would have been killed themselves if he didn't die. Some believe that the disciples were delusional and were simply seeing hallucinations. But anyone who has studied hallucinations knows that this is something that happens to individuals, not large groups of people at the same time. And this idea of a long, sustained, and detailed hallucination among a group of people at the same time is beyond any reasonable conclusion. It's not believable in any way. Some say that the disciples stole the body 
and lied about the resurrection. And this was probably the most common idea in the first century. But there are so many reasons this wouldn't be true. The Jewish authorities thought this might happen, so they made sure the tomb was guarded and sealed. The local people would have known it was a lie because Paul was saying there's 500 people that saw this risen Jesus. They're still alive. They can testify that Jesus rose from the dead. And also, the disciples' lives were transformed by this. They were willing to die for their belief. And almost every one of them was killed for their belief in Jesus Christ. No one is willing to die for something they know is a lie. But Peter was martyred for his faith in the risen Jesus. James, who is listed here, the brother of Jesus, who actually wasn't a believer when Jesus was still alive, but was martyred for his faith after seeing the resurrected Jesus. Then he appeared to all the apostles, and all of them, except John, were killed for their faith in the risen Jesus Christ. Even Paul himself was killed for his belief in a resurrected Jesus. Paul says, starting in verse 8, Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says he was untimely born because he saw the risen Jesus after he had ascended into heaven. He also says he was a persecutor of the church. The book of Acts tells us that he was ravaging the church and entering house after house and dragging off Christian men and women and committing them to prison. But one day, on his way to Damascus, to, he was going to arrest Christians, to tie them up, bring them back to Jerusalem to be put in the prison. He saw the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. He believed. He was never the same. He was willing to die for what he saw. His encounter with the resurrected Jesus gave him a resurrected life. And this gives us our third reality of the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus gives you a resurrected life through faith in him. Paul describes his own experience of having a resurrected life in Christ. He says in verse 10, But by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. It's only by the grace of God that anyone is forgiven in Jesus Christ. But because the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is real, Jesus really rose from the dead and walked on the earth appearing to people one day in history, this means he is who he says he is. He is the Son of God. He's the only way to the Father. And his death on the cross was for the punishment of the sins of those who believe in him. It means the Bible really is the word of God. And that means that Jesus gives you a resurrected life. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ alone, in him and only him, as the only way you can be saved from the punishment you deserve for your sins, you will be a changed person. My own life has been radically changed because I believe in the resurrected Jesus as my only hope in life and in death. It's changed everything about me, my desires, my goals in life. Belief in the resurrected Jesus has given me a resurrected life. 
that I no longer live for myself, I live for him. This can happen to you. Paul says in verse 11, whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. So I want to ask all of you, do you believe? Do you believe that you are a sinner in need of God's grace? Do you believe that you deserve punishment for your sins, but the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross is your only way to forgiveness from God? Do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and that belief in him is the only way to be resurrected and reconciled to God, the only way to eternal life? Without Jesus, you're an enemy of God. You're condemned in your sins and the punishment is death. But Jesus really did die on the cross to take the punishment of the sins for those who believe in him. And through faith in him, you're forgiven. You're reconciled to God. Jesus really did rise from the dead, and through faith in him, you have eternal life. If you have not yet come to believe and come to know the risen, resurrected Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let today be the day. Because the reality of the resurrection is that through faith in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven and you have a new resurrected life that will change you for the rest of eternity. In Jesus Christ, you have everything. Without him, you have nothing. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning and gathered to praise you, to glory in you and your plan of salvation, the plan to send your son to die for sinners on the cross, that we may have a resurrected life in him. We believe in you. We believe in your son, Jesus Christ, that he is risen from the dead. Continue to work in us our salvation, our sanctification, and our resurrected life, that we may live for you, your kingdom, and your glory. In the name of our risen Lord, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.